0: Our monthly check in with Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder talked to the mayor. The mayor just walking in the door on a busy day. And I think you mentioned in your text were you were having like a traffic jam, you said? Is that no, what the-
1: it didn't take me too long to get out here? Okay, good. You never know.
0: It just it <laughs> because it, it, it said I jam. Maybe you're trying oh, to say hi I, Jim and then. Right. Okay. No, on that, yeah, I
1: did my uh, voice text, uh, hands free. Yeah. <laughs> using your car and sometimes things come out oh,
0: quirky. Uh let's jump right into it. A lot to talk about today, and I wanna just Address it and then and then get it out of the way. Obviously, uh, your your son made some mm-hmm. unpleasant headlines in the last mm-hmm. uh, few weeks with a, a a traffic stop that got pretty highly publicized. First thing is just you know how, how's everybody doing? Everybody okay?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's challenging, you know, because uh, being in the public eye, especially as the mayor, I'm used to uh, scrutiny. Uh, of course, family's not, and uh, you know people say, oh, talk about. Treatment and, you know, this and that. And the one thing's for sure is that his uh, profile's uh, highlighted in a greater fashion than anybody else. No question. Just because uh, of my position. So, uh, but we did get a lot of, uh, you know, uh, support, you know, from individuals. Strangers come up to me and share their experience. And uh, if not, I guess that's the silver lining around the cloud is that it uh, kind of brings the, um, you know, that. tragic aspect of life that some families go through and we're one of them.
0: Uh, you know, uh, and I want you to just address one other part of this, because you you know how people, you know, react and, and rumors mm-hmm. run wild and everything. This happened early in the morning. He mm-hmm. was uh, able to, you know, bond out within a few hours by like 8.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are saying, oh, special treatment, you know, because it's the mayor's son. Uh, well, if uh, you sp-
1: what... spend the night in jail, I guess <laughs> if you consider that. He, he went to Taco Bell, never made it home.
0: W- were, there, were there any strings pulled anywhere along the way? Any calls made? No, any
1: okay? Not out of the ordinary. And you know what they should do is call the county. I mean, it's at UIS. Um, you know, so that's who handled it. Uh, but uh, for myself, you know, I called an attorney and asked them uh, how do we, uh, you know, get him out or bond him out or what have you. And that's what happened. Case still pending then, right? Okay,
0: yeah, yep. Um, let's jump into uh, other things here. Um, we reported over this past weekend, uh, an ordinance that was on first reading on Tuesday, about a possible study for the city of Springfield to potentially annex Grandview. Uh, mm-hmm. So how did this come about? I guess it was initiated actually by the, the folks in Grandview, mm-hmm. uh, as I understand it. Uh, is this something that you think would be a, a good idea? You put the ordinance forward mm-hmm. to to pursue the the study.
1: Right. I think it's a win-win for both uh uh, municipalities, uh, actually, where it came about. Pete Ox, the village president or mayor of uh, Grandview, had approached me and asked if we'd be interested. I said, well, "Well, sure, we'll take a look at it." So we did a initial meeting and discussion points uh, with uh, both finance people. You know, their finance person, uh, Director McCarty, myself, and uh, the mayor there, and uh, talked about it and really what the trade-offs would be as far as uh, for Grandview specifically, uh, there'd be a savings of water, you know, because they're an outside user. So, their residents would see a decrease in that, uh, potentially a property tax decrease uh, based on uh, what they're charged and what we charge, since we haven't raised our rates since the late 1980s. And then um, there's some other aspects for the city of Springfield. Uh, Just from a cohesive planning aspect, you know, people don't realize you're driving down, you know, past Lanfrey High School, you're heading to, uh, you know, maybe Ritz's or Kreckel's, that's in Grandview, and people don't realize it. So they do have a nice business corridor, and uh, they do operate in the positive. So from that aspect, uh, the planning and, you know, just the coordination of everything, it makes sense. And moving in that direction, at least taking a look at it. And so why we brought it to both city councils, because by rights, I probably could have proceeded and done the analysis, but this has been a point of uh, that's been brought up from state officials on the way down to local officials, how do we reduce the number of taxing bodies in the state of Illinois? We're probably the largest state or the having most taxing bodies, and uh, this could be a win-win for everybody and really show that Springfield, working with Grandview, actually took a leadership role, and we wanted both city councils to have a part in that. And it's my understanding, I think Grandview had passed that joint resolution, and ours is coming up for discussion uh, next week and then for uh, possible passage the week after.
0: Is there any downside to it? That, that you see, uh, I mean, with their roads or their water infrastructure or anything like that? Any any uh, things that we'd be taking on in, in the city of Springfield as potential burdens that make this maybe you know not a, a complete win-win? Well, that's where the analysis
1: comes into play and really taking a look at the what-ifs and uh, taking a look at their infrastructure. Uh, again, you know we supply the water, so I don't see that as an issue with regards to the roads. I think they're uh, they have had challenges with getting funding, where we're probably more successful in that realm. Uh, but again, they have bringing financial resources uh, with regards to their, um, you know their business corridor. Uh, by the way, one of which is a cannabis one. Uh, But uh, that's the analysis. But there's another step before this. Even if the joint resolution's done, we do the analysis. We say, oh, yeah, this looks good. What that does is it gives us the information to put on for a referendum, and both city council would have to pass a ordinance for the referendum. And then the voters of Grandview and the city of Springfield would have to pass it. That would be in November, then, if that were to happen. Correct. And, um, you know, a lot of that will be discussion points. You know, what's the actual benefit Fits, and that's the importance of doing the analysis.
0: And, and you, as you said, it would have to be approved by a majority of voters in both Springfield and in Grandview? Uh, that's simple, my, simple majority? Right. That's okay. my understanding. And if, and if both were to approve it, would that then be binding, or would the city uh, council and village board still have to come back and actually authorize it? Uh, I would have to. I think that's probably a formality. Okay. <laughs> um, if if this goes, and if this actually does come to pass, should Springfield pursue similar arrangements with say a Southern View or a Jerome or a Leland Grove? Well, I think it's up to them,
1: you know, the their own municipality. You know, everybody likes to have their own police officer and their own services. And, uh, you know, so that's what was, uh, you know, that's why I appreciate the leadership of uh, Pete Ox. You know, he came forward and he knew the challenges and the real challenges for uh, the smaller units of government is just the burdensome requirements, you know, with regards to, Uh, regulations, and they don't have the capacity. They don't have an OBM department like we do or uh, other areas. So that's where they see the burden. And, you know, Some get paid, some don't. And so that becomes a greater burden for them uh, through time. And I think they saw that and saw that, really, this could be a win-win, and why not explore it?
0: Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder is here with us. We uh, talked just a a short time ago with uh, Bruce Summer of UIS. They're doing an informational meeting this evening and public input session on uh, expanding the uh, UIS innovation uh, program uh, downtown through Innovate Springfield and ultimately that Illinois Innovation District Mm -hmm. that they've been talking about. Uh, how much are you in the loop on this? What what are they telling you now about particularly the joint university presence, UIS and SIU? Where, where are we with that? Well, the
1: uh, universities continue to talk. Uh, it's uh, you know they did pass the Illinois Innovation Network, which Springfield was the first hub, um, and we really appreciate the governor doing that, Governor Pritzker, and moving forward in that direction. So the interest is there. They're, we're looking at a innovation district, you know, not only downtown, but probably an area more like with the medical area, and with the city of Springfield. You know, we have our own fiber, uh, which we you know the schools access, the hospitals access. So that's a great asset other communities don't have. So it kind of puts us on the forefront, but, you know, it comes down to their needs, you know, UIS and SIU's needs, and then moving forward in that direction. I think everybody's really assessing now, um, after the initial splash, so to speak, of what can be, and that's what uh, is happening. Innovate Springfield, I believe they're having an open house tonight for people to come and uh, provide feedback. And so that's another step in the right direction, uh, and then probably having a public process with regards to gaining additional feedback. But everybody wants a university downtown. When we're compared to other cities, they say you know they have a larger footprint of universities downtown. So everybody sees that value. What's the end game? Uh, that's really up to UIS and SIU to. Uh, move forward with that footprint, and they are meeting with regards
0: to that. Yeah, but it's not just up to them. I mean, the city's got to uh, be on yeah. board with it, too. And uh, when <laughs> we talked to, to Bruce Summer from UIS about you know, the initial uh, discussion had been in that area between 2nd and 4th, where the Sangamo Club and everything is, oh, right. he said UIS is, in his words, agnostic on on that. Uh, That's a big word. <laughs> it, it is, <laughs> but but it also suggests that, okay, maybe that isn't the only option on the table. Oh, right. Are there other areas under consideration to, to form that discipline? Uh, District as you as you call it.
1: Well, I think uh, with regards to that, it's the open space. You know, I think uh, it's been in news recently about the hotel, the ramp uh, that we own, and the area around there is you know a, a, you have a, it's an open space to build on. Mm-hmm. But uh, really, again, it comes down to space. If they, uh, it's all all about. They only need ten thousand square feet. What's the areas that you could? go to, or if it's a larger footprint, but regardless where it's at, it's going to be like a domino impact, you know, just like the innovation center, learning and innovation center at Memorial and SIU did in the medical area. It's going to, you know, be a springboard for other development. So you have to look at the larger footprint. That's why I keep pointing to St. Louis Cortex, and I talked to Bruce Summers about this, and he's been there. Um, and I, you know, there's consultants that came in, and I told them it should be required that everybody that's around the table, they need to go see the Cortex because it was a blend of old with the new. How do you make that work uh, and have that greatest or the greatest impact with regards to the universities working together? But the city, that's why we pledged our support. Uh, but it comes down to capital resources, what's available. We can uh, possibly bond out the TIF or, you know, what's that end game? It all it all circles around what's the initial footprint and moving to square one. And- And that's what I think Bruce is working with uh, SIU and figuring that out and moving forward, but Innovate Springfield. I think is the first step forward. Sure.
0: But it, but it has to fit into the context of, I guess, the larger plan for downtown and does it make sense in one location versus another. Mm-hmm. So, to what extent do you expect the city to be involved in that? I mean, it's one thing to say, we, we want the universities to figure out what they want, mm-hmm. but it's also got to be what, what you want. Mm-hmm. So, are you going to you know try to direct them to uh, this area of downtown versus a different area of downtown to, to where it makes the most sense? Uh, I've shared options on 4th
1: Street. You know, uh, you know. of course, the Y blocks there, you have uh, property around there. 4th Street corridor is going to be the next corridor to be developed. Right. That could be the educational corridor, because the YMCA is uh, moving to the Carpenter Street, so that frees that up. And a lot of development's happening. It's going to be a natural link up to Carpenter Street. So how's that all fit together with the development? There's properties around there that could be developed. And so that all goes hand in hand. And, uh, you know, we have the transit. Center. That's going to be announced, I believe, Friday or tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's another key component that uh, we help free up space there. Now that can move forward. So it's really uh, kind of, you have these two uh, large developments. Uh, you don't want them close together. I don't believe you want them kind of spread out. So I think the 4th Street corridor makes sense because the trains eventually will be moved and there's property along there that could so, uh, be
0: so is the Y block still in play as an option here? Uh,
1: I don't. I think it's more of the green space aspect. You know, I always thought that'd be a great, uh, you know, quad there. You know, because I know I for certain. You know, they express interest in their ramp being available, and you, you know that footprint's probably uh, uh, probably anywhere from forty to eighty thousand square feet, just where the ramp is. If you tore that down and build on it, uh, and there's buildings around there, so I think that's all a potential. But again, it goes back to what's the true need uh, with the universities, and then that will help us identify or pinpoint the financial resources needed, but that's just the first
0: phase. And then after that what happens. You've also mentioned that Downtown Hotel Project, which mm-hmm. was in part of that same area that the universities were at least uh, described as, as considering at some point. Uh, and there was a report uh, this week in the Illinois Times just out that the uh, hotel developers have basically said, oh, we'll, we'll have our financing locked up, we'll have it all for you this week. Well, it's Thursday afternoon. Have they come back and said, we've got our financing taken care of? Are we? Do we know that this project is going to go forward or that it's not going to go forward?
1: Well, uh, they have the opportunity to extend that too to the city council if the financing is not in place. Yo. By Friday, or whatever the case may be. But I thought the article said
0: they hadn't uh, exercised that option of the extension. Oh, right.
1: Not as of yet, but there's, uh, you know, Val Yazel, Director Yazel, might have been in conversations with them, so, uh, you know, they have, I believe, till March 6th, which is tomorrow, so. uh, For myself, I'm an old banker, so my idea for financing is money in the bank. You know, you had the closing, and we're ready to move, the project's moving forward, because one thing I had expressed, we don't want the project starting and stopping. We've had that happen, that's not a good thing. We want to start and finish it. And the other aspect is, are the other properties in play secured or have there's those been moved forward? Because the key component for us is the ramp. You know, we're not going to relinquish control of our ramp until we're for certain that the project's moving forward in a, a fiduciary manner.
0: Well, they were going to close on a property months ago, and then that fell through. Mm-hmm. And now we're coming down to the wire on a deadline again. Doesn't that, any of this give you pause to, to say, okay, do, do these guys really have their act together? I mean, it, should we really be going up right to the deadline for, for every step along the way here?
1: Well, it's a complex project. I think it's uh, over $70 million. So uh, you want to give it every opportunity because, uh, you know, that's a lot of development that we haven't had downtown uh, with regards to that. So you want to give it every opportunity with associated with that. So that's what uh, we're doing. We're moving through that process and uh, we'll do so accordingly.
0: Mayor, just uh, within the last couple of weeks, there was a uh, public uh, meeting to offer information and input on the uh, downtown uh, traffic, the parking meters, uh, traffic flow, traffic lights, things like that. Uh, What what was the turnout like? Have you been getting a good response? I know you still got things up on the website and encouraging more uh, public response. Uh, What are what are you hearing about it? Yeah, that was a good
1: response, my understanding. I, I made it uh, you know mid, midpoint, but uh, Public Works said they had a good turnout, uh, a lot of feedback with regards to that. So uh, that's what they're trying to do is gather the information and then uh, assess it, of course, and then come back with some recommendations.
0: Um, and so uh, n- nothing you've heard so far that says we're on the wrong track with any of this or the changing the one-way traffic to two-way, which I'm convinced is a plot to kill me because I've been driving on one-way streets down there for 40 years. Uh, n- nobody's uh, you know, giving you a lot of uh, flack about it?
1: No, yeah, everybody has their own opinion with regards to that. Uh, like you had shared, you know, it's been that way for a long time. Why now? And actually, the reason for that is you have these points in time where it's either now or never. So you might as well address it assess it, and then put it to rest once and for all. And so, that's the one-way streets, of course, Um, and we're taking a look at that. You know, 7th Street has concerns because of the uh, Lincoln home area, so we're looking at possibly diagonally parking, which would pick up a few spots on one side of the road and then have a bike path. Uh, So it makes it more, it slows down the traffic, makes it more accessible uh, from that and not disrupt the operations of that area. The other one is uh, 4th Street. I believe, you know, we were talking about the potential corridor there, uh, making it two-way makes sense, especially for business development along that route. Uh, If it's one way, you'd only pick up half the traffic. And then uh, I noticed uh, people, you know, write letters to the editor. Well, I might come out 5th Street or come down 6th Street, those roads aren't impacted. Those will remain one way. But the other ones that run uh, um, east and west, some of those would be uh, changed. But others will have to wait because of the rail, uh, because it's just the cost prohibitiveness of it. We'd have to do uh, uh, changes of the rail guard so it, it it changes that up. Why it's important now is because we have to change out all our lighting infrastructure. So uh, now's the time to do it. It's a multi million dollar project, regardless. And doing the two ways would probably add a couple hundred thousand dollars to it. I think maximum around four hundred thousand. So now's the time to take a look at a serious look and then decide once and for all if we're going to move in this direction.
0: Uh, last time you were here, you mentioned uh, a survey that was being done, especially of surface uh, parking uh, lots in the downtown area and just sort of evaluating that. I bring it up because there's an article today, again, in the Illinois Times, uh, talking about the Kidzeum, uh, struggling okay. to make ends meet. Uh, they are coming back to the city council and saying, we might need a little bit more help. And one of the the problems they're citing is a perception, at least, of a lack of available parking that they say is inhibiting uh, you know, people coming to uh, to the institution there. So, uh, I guess two questions. Number one is, is it a good idea for the city to, um, for whether it's one time or a repeating Sort of investment uh, to help out the Kids EM, try to give it a little financial boost. And uh, are there any information coming back from this survey of parking yet that would provide answers to a, a business or an entity like the Kids EM?
1: Yeah, uh, with regards to the parking, that's uh, one of the reasons we're doing it. Is, uh, you know, I attended the Mayor's Institute a couple of years ago, and that's one of the things they have noticed. They're outsiders looking in. We have ample parking. You know, we just don't utilize it to its complete, uh, uh, you know, access points with regards to, you might have, uh, you know, I'll pick on an Illinois Municipal League. I'm on the board there. So during the day, they use it. Nighttime, they don't. Can we use it at night? And there's some that... We that used churches, to be able to
0: use it at night and, uh, right uh, there across oh, from the home. Right. I should have brought that up. It's, very, uh, listen, <laughs> but it, it's a good point. You've got an and entire theater the... community that still just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> gnashes their well, teeth over that. Well, that's what
1: we're looking at. Uh, and maybe it's, uh, I think one of the contentions was, uh, you know, the uh, they get littered or what have you. Well, maybe we work it out where we go and clean it up and then charge whoever's using it or whatever. I mean, that's what you try to do is uh, assess it. Can we use it? And if not, why not? And try to remove those barriers so we can make it accessible. Other ones are like church lots downtown. Yeah. Uh, can we use those during the day? And then that gives us a footprint of available parking to. Uh, get rid of the perception. There's no parking. But the other one is with the meters. And we want to go to the smart meters. I know they want to go kiosks. Kiosks seem to be more expensive. And here's the thing with the kiosks rub for me is, you know, I'm more of a convenience person. I think a lot of Springfield, when you come downtown, you want to park there and go in wherever you're going. Kiosks, I don't think a lot of people would like that when you plug your meter or you don't plug your meter. You got to go down, get your ticket and then go back to your car. Yeah, I, I mean, would, yeah. I would
0: finally find a spot right in front of the place I want to go that I got to walk half a block to the kiosk and come back. Right. Oh, that would yeah, be...
1: right. So I think the meters are the way to go. Plus, uh, with today's technology, you can um, really see where the available spots are, you know. So, uh, but that's public works, you know. Uh, yeah. We're putting in into their realm. They're the experts taking a look at it. But on the second aspect, so we do have to find the availability and maximize our. Parking that we have right now and communicate that out as best as possible using technology and other means. The other one is the 50,000. That doesn't bother me as far as, you know, because I'm a supporter of Kids uh, Really, they have to change their model. And you can talk to Scott Dahl, you know, they have uh, upwards of 80,000 students coming there, but they're over the age of what KidZium attracts. Mm-hmm. And so that's a missing population or a missing market that you could tap into from those school-age students. And I think that's really what they have to take a look at. And I spoke to them. I said, what I think, you know, we did tour, uh, I think it's the KidZium in Normal. You know, uh, I went out there with Leah and Val uh, Yazel and went there and took a look at it. And they have a nice big or that well, Children's Museum. Yeah. But it appeals to any age level. And you need more space. Well, they own the building. Next to it, I said, "Why don't we make a proposal to, uh, you know, put that to use and come back with a request and, you know, just uh, try to raise the funds and uh, do it uh, once and for all." But I think they have a new board moving in the right direction, trying to assess things and see how they want to change things to uh, really uh, increase the activity there to
0: help the bottom line. Uh, let's delve a little bit more into the issue of homelessness. Mm-hmm. We talked about this uh, a lot for months now, every time we're together on this. Uh, I, I keep going back to the Illinois Times. I had a lot of interesting articles in there today, including a, a pretty uh, extended uh, cover story on the homelessness issue, on uh, things at the Winter Warming Center, and the, the fact that uh, after the proposed Center for uh, um, uh, Health and Housing um, fell through back last summer, uh, it's been kind of in a state of limbo ever since. So uh, give us where things are from your perspective. Are there still conversations going on? Are there any plans in the works? Are we going to see some movement on this? Well, I did actually uh, talk to... Um
1: Michael Swanson from Salvation Army. He's actually, I think he's based in Peoria. And uh, asked him, you know, how things were going because they, you know, have uh, hired a new manager, I believe, at the Winter Warming Center. And he said, you know, things are quiet and running smoothly, as far as he knows. And, you know, the reimbursement and things of that nature. So, you know, I talked about next steps associated with that uh, uh, and seeing if they'd be interested, hopefully, in uh, continuing operating the Winter Warming Center Throughout the summer as well, because uh, I think that just helps keep the momentum going. What you know, I told him I said, "This isn't great momentum, but at least we're you know giving people an option of a place to stay." And so, until we figure it out, uh, the next step. So, with regards to the location that we're at now, or what was proposed, I should say we're being sued over that, and so that's you know caught up in that uh, web, Uh, so I don't think that's going to progress as, you know, last I've heard. Uh, But I've asked, uh, uh, going back to Michael Swanson, I said uh, I encouraged him to, you know, get in touch with Helping Hands and other individuals that serve that uh, particular population and, uh, you know, come back to the table and discuss what the next steps are because, you know, I'm a firm believer in um, you know, build a suit. Um, I think the other building was too big. Uh, you know, it's my understanding after it passed, and uh, there's information that came out after the fact in the newspaper saying that the uh, uh, the uh, county's program with regards to court services could occupy space there and as a like a sublease arrangement and so uh, that was never discussed uh, in in public you know at that level and so i think really the true uh, size of a facility would be around 15,000 and go back to the basic concept as it was first introduced as a emergency triage situation for the homeless. to be temporary. So, someone comes in, you assess their situation, and then connect them up to the supportive services and moving up towards that transitional housing piece.
0: Uh, even if it is that exclusively, that probably does not uh, answer any of the concerns of whoever might be living nearby that facility, ultimately, because you're still going to have a a troubled population coming in and out of their neighborhoods. Uh, What's on the table as far as a possible location for a Center for Health and Housing, whatever form it might take? Uh, as far
1: as other locations you yeah mean? well there's uh, some locations that were downtown there's uh, some properties along the uh, 10th Street corridor on the you know the 9th street side of the tracks that uh, would be available and so there's opportunity there uh, it's a matter of exploring those and really everybody making that commitment and so uh, the other piece of it you know uh, you know what's interesting this is how things um, you know come together. Sometimes, Uh, with regards to our police force, you know that we move forward in initiatives. You know, so uh, I think uh, the continuum of care—they've been a great advocate with regards to addressing homeless needs. Through time, there's been a gutting of those resources from the federal level to the state level, and uh, so they've they've accepted the challenge in tough times. You know, case management is one of those areas that's lagging, and they don't have the resources. That's why I put one in our budget so uh, to assist the. Uh, you know our public outreach officer uh, to try to find out where the individuals uh, came from, uh, what their uh, you know situation is, and try to get them support services. But the other aspect, I, we had a safe passageway program for people that are you know drug addictions or what have you, and uh, that we see at the low barrier shelter. You know, those are individuals that are not accepted in helping hands. These are individuals that are, you know, they might be high, they may be drunk, or they may be, you know, sober and just need a place to stay. And so, that's who we're dealing with at the Winter Warming Center. And uh, uh, we met a few weeks back about three weeks ago with uh, Gateway about the Safe Passageway. So, I talked to them about that program. They've actually helped individuals that were homeless move along that pathway. And so, we had that conversation. I said, what's the, what's the gap in the city of Springfield? And they said, crisis intervention. So, they don't have someone that uh, would be able to prepare or provide mental health services or the drug rehab services that's below what they currently do. So, it's that entry-level piece associated with that. So, uh, we've asked them, you know, we've uh, uh, looked at, is there an opportunity to uh, fill that gap uh, with regards to those services, and, uh, you know, we continue those discussions to see how we can do
0: that. I'm jumping back and forth a little bit here, but there's obviously a lot of components to this. Uh, Back to the Salvation Army, you said you talked to them about possibly keeping the Winter Warming Center or some facility that has the the same... uh, same standards for admission to it open year round. Did did they respond? Did they give you a thumbs up, thumbs down? We're still thinking about it?
1: Yeah, just uh, thinking about it. I mean, it's been taxing. I mean, uh, as far as, uh, you know, uh, it's a challenge that they really uh, weren't familiar with uh, going into it and been, uh, you know, with the short notification, it was a tough uh, situation to step into. That's why we're thankful for what they've done and what, they, you know, with the taking care of 60 of our homeless individuals. Yeah. Uh, so they it, haven't
0: said no, but they haven't said yes either. Correct. And when correct. when does the Winter Warming Center close for the season? Is it the end of March? Yeah, it's supposed to be the end of March. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so clock is running on that. Oh, yeah. I, I right. mean, it, would you uh, assume that there's a chance that they could try to keep it open year-round?
1: Well, uh, court, well the pieces are in place. You know, you could extend it a month or two months or, you know, time would tell uh, with regards to that. And, again, uh, you know, with regards to the resources. Uh, we'd have to come back to the city council and uh, if it goes over that uh, $50,000 mark or whatever the case may be so that all comes into play but really what it it goes back to your original question where are we going and that's what we really need to address and uh, that's what we intend to do but it takes uh, you know the participants coming back and uh, the ones that really can bring it to the forefront I believe is Salvation Army you know they have uh, tended to the population we're talking about Helping Hands has, uh, I think Washington Street Mission has, uh, when there's talk of a day center, they're interested in providing that service. Um, and there uh, might be a couple others, but I asked Salvation Army, I go, you would know who serves the population, but try to get uh, people around the table and talk
0: about the next steps. And you you mentioned in the Center for Health and Housing, you know, attempt to revive that, that there are parcels in that 10th Street corridor on the 9th Street side mm-hmm. of the tracks that, that could be looked at. Is anybody looking at them? Is anybody evaluating those as a, a possible place for that uh, project?
1: Uh, I've actually taken a look at a parcel in particular and uh, you know, brought that to uh, a possibility, but I think it comes down to uh, getting the people back to the table first, because you know, you know, we can build something uh, just like we have the Winter Warming Center. We have a facility. It's a temporary one. Uh, but you have to have people to run it, the expertise to run it. And so, that's the challenges uh, with regards to who operates the facility, what's it look like, and how do we move forward?
0: The article in the Times uh, said there was reference back last summer to conducting a, a study of, mm-hmm. of some of this issue, and that you uh, expressed some reluctance to it. It's like, what do we need to study for? It then said you seemed maybe a little less resistant to the idea uh, after we went through the whole saga with the Center for Health and Housing. Uh, it is a study needed? Would it do any good? Would it tell us? I mean, it seems like everybody knows there's a problem. Everybody has a pretty good handle on the extent of the problem. It's not so much studying the issue, it's, it's finding the solution.
1: Uh, I I agree. And so, the the reason I, you know, kind of, I think uh, the term was balked at it, because the continuum of care expressed concerns, and they weren't at the table. So, that's one of the reasons. That's why we had a meeting at, uh, I believe it was at Shields at the time, to just make that, that was the initial discussion with them. So, from that, what's happened is you had individuals from the continuum of care meet with United Way and uh, the others, the county was present, uh, the city, and others, and uh, work through the process, and I think they've uh, finalized the bids or, or the RFP that would go out to ask an entity to come forward uh, to go to the next phase. But in the meantime, what we've done is with the uh, Land of Lincoln Community Foundation is hired or allowed the uh, Continuum of Care to hire a coordinator, for lack of a better term, that would uh, you know help coordinate the activities of the continuum of care, because you have like 10 different agencies or plus, and uh, it helps move everybody in the same direction, uh, making sure nothing falls through the cracks and access the grant opportunities that could be left on the table.
0: We're in March now, we've got a, you know, pretty pleasant temperatures coming up here over the next few days. As warmer weather gets here, one thing that historically that's meant in Springfield is an increase in street violence and you know people spending more time outdoors, and sometimes that leads to gunplay. In the last couple of weeks, we've had shootings out on the street on West Isles, uh, we've had them on South MacArthur leading over to Park Avenue, we've had them over on Stewart Street. Are we ready for the? I mean, does it seem like this is is going to be a a bad summer for this sort of thing? And are we prepared? Yeah, that's a. I don't
1: care what neighborhood you're in. You know, my son lives in Glen Air, where we used to live, and there's you know someone shot. Just uh, doors down from him, so it's a concern. Uh, anytime you have that happening, it's targeted. From my understanding, it's targeted uh, with regards to the shootings. But we are going forward with the Shot Spotter initiative. Uh, that should uh, be installed. I think uh, near the end of April or May. I think they'll start doing the installation. So that will help. Uh, it's a four-mile radius uh, throughout, uh, you know, uh, the hot, uh, the hotter areas, or the uh, I guess the. Uh, Um, higher levels of uh, gunshots, and so that's how that was mapped out. So we really appreciate Memorial Health Services and HSHS St. John's because they're participating by helping us fund that. Uh, So uh, that's one aspect, but the police continue to do what they can with, uh, you know, uh, you know, engagement, community engagement, and things of that nature. But as you're right, as things heat up, that's when you have more presence outside. We did have a, a street party, I think, popped up the other day that uh, all the women Turner uh, brought to our attention. So that's something we'll be cognizant of, stepping up uh, our police activities on those particular
0: areas. Final few minutes with Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder here on News Talk 94.7 and 970 WMAY. Mayor, is coronavirus affecting you or your job or city operations in any way?
1: Well, it's uh, making everybody more aware of uh, hand washing. That's the biggest way to assure your safety. Uh, it's you know, I talked to HR director uh, with regards to getting the word out, and he's done that, been in touch with public health on the uh, local level as well as state level. Um, actually, we're participating in a conference call with the governor's office, I think, uh, tomorrow, associated with that. But I think everybody needs to be cognizant. It's a form of the flu, you know, but it is, uh, you know, with regards to the casualties, it's tragic. And so, uh, but uh, my HR director, he reminded me, he said, Do you know, Mayor, we have had 14,000 deaths, I think it is, across the country with related to the flu. Right. And then Corona pales in comparison, but it's just how it's catching, you know, and, and we have delegations to come in. So when they come in, I say, well, where have they been? And so we are more cognizant of people's travels and uh, the need for making sure everybody attends a good hand-washing and you know keeping everybody safe as much as possible.
0: You've also got city employees in the fire department who can be first responders mm-hmm. in medical emergencies. And so, mm-hmm. if you have somebody who's suddenly short of breath at home, uh, and maybe they're showing symptoms of respiratory distress, you got to think about that. I mean, is there any special training or instructions or anything that's happening related to that?
1: Well, that's what I've talked to Chief Riney about earlier in the week, and I think that's Part of the discussion we'll have with the state of Illinois associated with that, but uh, they take precautionary measures anytime they are tending to individuals as paramedic. You know, you put your gloves on and things of that nature. Uh, but uh, added features, you know, with masks and that, I'd have to rely on his expertise.
0: With that, Mayor, we're out of time. We we'll always appreciate your time. Thanks so much for spending the hour with us, and we'll be well, in thank touch you. soon. I'm very sure.